Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Podcast. For those of you who are wondering right now, hey, who the heck is this new guy? I'm Thomas Viola. I am thrilled to be a part of the team here at Betting Pros. A little bit about me. I am a New Jersey native who has been lucky enough to make his way out to Las Vegas and the wide, wide world of sports betting that has erupted from that. I'm a long-suffering Jets fan. I'm an equally suffering American lover of soccer. And most importantly of all, I'm here because I want to help us all win some money together. And the best way to do that, especially when you are fully admitted, not a sharp better like myself, is to talk to some sharp betters. And today we have one of the sharpest. That is none other than my friend Jason Weingarten, a.k.a. Spreadopedia. Jason, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. It is a pleasure to have you. I am really excited to talk with you because baseball season, it is in full swing now. And one of the things that you're seeing all across the t- gambling Twitter, no run first innings. Everyone and their mother seems to be betting on these nerfies right now. But I've noticed that you particularly have been saying, hey, wait a second, guys, this isn't a good bet. And this is a trap that a lot of bettors are falling into. What is it about no run first innings that makes these makes them attractive to gamblers? And why is it that that is actually a flawed logic? Well, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that we're seeing so much attention on this kind of stuff, but it always does surprise me because I I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram or on a lot of these social media focused gambling sort of things. And I'll see it all of a sudden I'll be like, wow, like, you know, this guy has 17,000 followers. This guy has 40,000 followers. Like, and he's just spewing constant nonsense. So uh, I, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm in my own little world when it comes to gambling. And I, I, all of a sudden I start seeing all these people talking about no score first innings. And these are bets I used to make when I was in college, you know, <laughs> which talking 15 years ago now, almost a long time ago. when I, when I was completely clueless, had no clue what I was doing and playing on a five dimes account, you know, from the beach in Newport. I would bet no score first innings and I would lose. I would lose all the time and I would have no clue why I was losing. Um, It took years. It really took years to figure out what I was doing wrong and that I was being an idiot. Exactly. But uh, yeah, basically these no score first inning bets are very attractive because you're done after six outs and people see, you know, two good pitchers and they say, oh, well, these guys can get six outs very quickly. You know, I can I can bet this and be done in 15 minutes, but it doesn't work like that. It's, I mean, the, the first inning, the first and the ninth innings are the highest scoring innings in baseball to begin with. But you're getting the top of both of, both of the lineups and you're getting pitchers that aren't necessarily settled in. You know, people people tend to have these sort of preconceived assumptions about how how baseball works and how pitching works and that pitchers just come out and could locate the strike zone and you know put their curveball where they want it on the first pitch of the game it, it doesn't work like that you know some guys need need a couple pitches some guys need 20 pitches to kind of feel their groove and you know get the ball moving the way they like it and Again, you're you're getting the top of both teams' lineups, their best three hitters, and if you're not batting your best three hitters in the top of the lineup, you're you know you're doing it wrong. It's, you know, roster construction, lineup construction. So, I really think that people are just being taught 
the wrong things and i mean literally it's it's like the blind leading the blind you're, you're listening to someone who's clueless telling you to do something um something negative ev that you have no clue you know what to do in the first place and you're laying a price you're almost always laying 120 130 140 i mean i've seen people you know, laying minus 170s and losing it and betting it again, you know, and telling and the problem I have, you know, just to sort of clarify, I'm not telling you don't bet whatever you want. Hey, it's your life. It's your money. You want to be stupid. You know, I'm not here to tell you, you know, what what to have fun on. You know, it's your 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 betting experience is your betting experience. But the reason I bring this up and I talk about it on Twitter um, mostly is because when you have a platform and you work for a large company, you either work for a media company or you work for a book, you know, and you're putting out content on behalf of them and you're teaching people bad habits, you're teaching them the in incorrect way of doing things. Um, it's one thing to harm yourself. I don't have a problem if you're going to lose your own money, but when you start losing other people's money and making a game of it and, and telling them, you know, that, uh, that, that this is fun and this is a good way to sweat baseball. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely slightly judging these people the same way I judge people that bet the, uh, the, the field on a craps table, you know, or it's just, it's, it's, it's stupid, bad gambling and you shouldn't be teaching other people to be stupid. You, you want to do it, do it yourself, but encouraging other people is where I, I draw the line. I, I completely feel the same way. I, as someone who isn't a media company and is supposed to be giving people bets and trying to make people money, I, I don't care if I lose every last dime that I have gambling. I mean, I do care. That would be very suboptimal. But I, I take it way more personally because I am giving other people advice. There are people who are coming to this platform that are looking for good bets, that are looking for sound advice so that they can go out and try and make money it would be predatory not to be trying to give them the best advice I can. And you break down no run first innings. And I believe you look at it and the number is actually something like there's a run 53% of the time in the first inning. I think it's closer, closer to 51, uh, 49 to 51. It, it, it depends what, what the situation is, but yeah, in general, you're going to score a run in the first inning more often than not. Um, and, and, and it's a price thing. A lot of it's a price thing. So if you were to tell me that I was getting, you know, plus 150 or plus 125, even on every no score, like it's a different conversation, but exactly. a lot of these people who are giving out these bets are, are not price sensitive at all. You know, they have no idea that it might be a, a good bet at, at minus 120 and be a bad bet at minus 130 or minus 135 or whatever number they're giving it out at. And that's the problem is you're either clueless or you're, you know, you're doing this on purpose. You know, you're, you're, you're doing this, knowing that you're wrong. I, mean, I don't, I mean, obviously one is worse than the other, but both are bad. And I, I pointed this out the first time I talked about it too, but it's not just the, the content creators that, that this is an issue. This means that everybody in the entire chain, the editors, the, 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 you know, the people on the, the, the tech side, and not a single person is willing to, to say, Hey man, I think some of this information we're giving out is, you know, incorrect. And I mean, it's, it's not a single person failure. It's a failure of, you know, multiple people and nobody's willing to point out that, you know, you can give out bad gambling advice. I mean, it's, it's much more of an industry wide issue 
especially on this side because we people are trying to give out picks. You're if if you're a novice better who's just going, okay, I'm I'm getting started. I'm trying to figure out where to go, who to follow because I don't really have my own opinions yet. I'm get, just getting into this. You don't. There's no system for going. Oh wait, this guy knows what he's talking about versus this guy who doesn't because you're a novice. You you don't know the answers to that. Everybody just seems like they're giving out stuff and you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to believe this guy and you're picking someone at random. And that's how betters can fall into another huge trap, which are touts. And we've seen that so many times. I mean, we all know the stories of one of the most famous ones that there is. It, it blows your mind because you go, how on earth are people falling for this? It's a scam, but they just, they just don't know. Well, I think a lot of it, people, people want to offload the risk of winning to somebody else. Same thing when you invest in a hedge fund or you invest with an investment manager. It's not, it's no longer your responsibility, whether you win or lose, it's the person that you're paying. And, you know, you've, you've basically, you know, you know, you just don't have that responsibility anymore. It's, it's, it's a great psychological thing for a lot yeah. of people. Um, and all they're looking for is to win. They don't want to, they don't want to learn, you know, there's a difference between wanting to learn to be a better gambler and buying picks and plugging the picks into your accounts. And, you know, oh, my guy wins, my guy loses, but you have no clue what you're doing. And a lot of those people, and <clears throat> I think one of the hardest things about, um, you know, selling picks or even having a social media following and giving out picks for free. If you like a, something, even a prop, you know, I like, I, I, I'll give you actually a real example. Uh, earlier this week, I was like, I like Alex Cobb to, to have over strikeouts at, you know, the, on the prop builder at every alternate number on the over. And he ended up getting hurt and getting pulled with four strikeouts. So they all ended up losing. But uh, you could bet from five, I was like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or something. And 10 was 30 to one. And he had, he had pitched a 10 strikeout game in his first game of the season. So I just tweeted out with a screenshot, like, look, like, 30 to one, I, I have an $8 limit on this. So I, I just going to tweet it out to tell people, you know, what a good bet this, this is, if they can bet it, you know, hundred bucks at 30 to one's a nice, you know, nice return on a guy getting 10 strikeouts. So I tweeted it out a couple minutes later without me even betting on it. It had been bet down to 15 to one, which <laughs> again, it probably didn't take a ton of money to do that. But when you give out good bets, the line moves. And when you're when you're getting paid to give out bets and the line moves, your customers are getting a worse line. And it's it's not fair to them to, to do that. Number one, um, num number two, even if you tell people, you know, this is no longer a bet past, you know, minus 120 or minus one, whatever, just make it up a number there. People are still going to bet it like yeah. and, and that, it does not matter what you tell them. People are still saying, oh, I'm only getting five cents worth. I'm only getting 10 cents worth. I, I still want the action. And there's nothing you can do about that. Um, they don't understand that over time, they're going to end up losing money when you're winning money because of the price differences. Uh, and then the third thing is, um, you know, and then this is really going to the Sprager tout flow chart. But uh, if, if you're not moving the market it, yourself, then why should anybody else want to buy your picks? You know, if, if, if the market doesn't respect your picks, then what's the point? You know, so th there's there's a lot of issues with touts that I mean, it could be a three hour 
podcast just talking about this this particular subject. But the the main issue that I want to point out with with touts, I think, is to at least educate the audience that if somebody's charging fifty dollars a month for the information or a hundred dollars a month, they are probably not a winning better. And I don't mean this to be mean to any people that are charging low prices, but if you don't value your work more than a hundred dollars a month, I mean, why, what, what sort of economics in this gambling business would make sense to sell this information for a hundred dollars? I want to sell my bets for tens of thousands of dollars. If somebody wants, wants, you know, day to day access to me and discuss, you know, to talk to me all the time. I mean, it's worth real money. So if you're not valuing, if the tout himself isn't valuing his information, you know, and obviously they're going to say, well, I want to get it out to more people and this and that. Okay. But then it goes back to the, the flow chart. If, if, if you're getting it out to more people at less money, the market's either not respecting your opinion or you're killing the number before it's going out. So, you know, there are very, very few situations where I think paying for information makes sense. And, uh, truthfully, at, at one point or another, everybody's going to end up paying for some picks. You know, I myself am guilty of that. It was 15 years ago. I was in college. I had no clue what I was doing. But, um, you know, you're, you're going to buy a pick. You're going to buy a, a package or whatever. And you'll you'll learn from the experience. But my advice is that if you're buying something for $50 or $100, like you might win a couple games. It might, it might be worth the action, you know, just from getting – getting action standpoint, but uh, just keep in mind that the, the the person you're buying from doesn't value their information enough to bet it enough to move the market or the market doesn't respect them and that they don't respect it enough to charge, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for it. So, you know, you get what you pay for. And that's, that's my tout rant. And, and the other factor there is if you are paying for this information, then you also, in order to turn a profit, because you're already down a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or whatever you're paying for that price, you're down that money to start, which means you need to hit at a higher percentage just to break even anyway. So you're just making it even harder for yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a, there's a tout calculator that shows you what, you know, if you're paying this much, how much you have to win at what percent to break even. And like I said, if if the the person selling the picks could make money, they would already have you know they would have people backing them if they don't if they're undercapitalized. If 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 look if you're if you're successful in anything in gambling, whether it's NFL or NFL props or baseball baseball props, all the way down to you know USL soccer and minor league UFC and minor league baseball and whatever obscure market you're good at if you can win and win you know sustainably and long term people will find you and if you don't have money you know there are plenty of people out there who will gladly throw money at you if you're a winner um touting is is does not make sense in very many cases there are obviously always exceptions and there are you know I know I know several people who do it fairly successfully and, you know, as fairly as possible. And, uh, you know, obviously getting into the, the tout world is a personal decision. And some people do it because they're, they're not as, uh, you know, aggressive with risk as, uh, you know, other, other people might be. Some people like 
you know, some people like the, the having the, the customers and the fans and some people do it because it's a good way to book people. Like, you know, you charge 50 bucks or a hundred bucks for tout information. You get a whole bunch of gamblers signed up and then you could book them on a, you know, like, like you don't think stuff like that happens. It happens all the time. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways, a lot of different ways to make money in the gambling world. And I think that's what draws a lot of the, the personalities to it is, you can you you have the f- the flexibility to to make money in so many different ways, but I think touting is is you know not one of the best. I think there are way better avenues for making money in this business. Now another point that you brought up was the number moving on people and them not realizing that the price they're getting a bet at is a bad price. One of the biggest traps that betters fall into, that old saying, you're not paying juice if you're winning. That's the most erroneous saying in sports betting, I feel like. Line shopping is one of the most important things you can do. I try to never, and granted for some betters, like if you're betting 10, 20 bucks a game, and nope, no problem with that. I'm not trying to unit shame anybody here. But if that's what you're betting, then okay, maybe five cents of juice doesn't shake out to too much for you. But as a practice anyway, it is good to just be going, okay, I want to bet on this game. Let me see what the line is at this. 10 or $20 and you're not price sensitive. What you're doing is you're creating a bad habit. That's going to be harder to break when you decide to up your unit to $50 or hundred dollars or whatever, whatever you get to. And eventually it'll add up to, losing money and one of the things I've, I've said a lot recently is that uh, being successful in gambling a lot of times I mean obviously it, it has to do with working hard and you know betting betting good numbers and knowing what you're doing etc but a lot of gambling is discipline and you know unlearning bad habits I think is the hardest thing that novice and new gamblers have to deal with that they're you know, if, if you learn the wrong way or a bad way of doing things, it's going to take a lot of work to break that habit, just like breaking any bad habit. Will. I definitely personally fell into this habit just a little bit when I got started out because I said, okay, I have money loaded up into one account. So that's the account I'm going to bet on. And I get that for new bettors. Maybe you don't want to have accounts everywhere. It's a matter of convenience there. But at least being aware and getting into that practice is so crucial. I I haven't even upped my unit play that much over the course of my betting career. But I still, as a habit, you have to know, let me go line shopping. Let me go and see what these lines are elsewhere. And you don't even need to have a, you, know, you don't even need to have an account with every book to go do that. As a matter of fact, and here comes the plug, you can do that using the betting pros app. Uh, If you go online, download the app right now. If you're looking for free picks, advice, bettingpros.com, we have you covered with tips from over 150 experts to make it easy for you to cash out. Download the app to get sports betting alerts, and this is the big part. You'll get notified of favorable bets based on line movements, consensus picks from some accurate experts around the industry, and vetted systems in play. Betting Pros monitors all of the major sports books, most accurate experts, and top systems to identify the best betting opportunities. Download today in the Apple or Google Play stores. And the important thing there is Betting Pros has a an, Betting Pros has a feature where you can just go and compare lines from across a bunch of different books, both in Vegas and throughout the country. 
And that is just so convenient. That is one of those awesome tools that you can go and use. And even if you're not going to use our tool, I hope you use our tool, but even if you're not going to go and check stuff like, like that out, because it is a convenient way to see that you're getting the best line somewhere. And that's so important. Jason, the next thing that I wanted to ask you, what are some of the other mistakes that betters typically make when they're just starting out that maybe we haven't covered here so far? Well, there's uh, there's plenty of things to look for, especially with baseball when you're getting content. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've talked about before, it's just there's there's so much content out there. Like there's just bound to be bad content by just by definition of, of how much there is um and it sucks i get it like there's there's so many hours to fill and so much stuff to do that sometimes some some incorrect info is going to get through and a lot of times it's not necessarily somebody trying to to be bad they just don't know any better and no one's ever corrected them and told them hey that's not the way to do things so like one one thing i see a lot of is uh, uh you know an analyst or uh, a host on a show will say i don't want to lay minus 250 with the dodgers today but i'm comfortable laying the dodgers minus one and a half on the run line that's that's somebody who doesn't know what they're doing they think they're getting value you know laying one and a half at a, a lower number it's not how baseball works like you know, the amount of times I've laid a huge favorite and one by one run and, you know, versus the amount of times I've, you know, won a run line. And I don't, I don't bet, you know, I don't necessarily bet the run line when I bet the, the money line. I actually bet very few run lines, you know, probably one of the, the smallest, you know, markets I, I do actually. Um, but, but I, I think that's, that's a huge thing when you see somebody saying bet the run line because it's cheaper that's probably somebody you don't want to take advice from because they don't have any clue what they're doing. Then there's the batter versus pitcher people. And I think a lot of this has to do with prop betting. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of the legal books have, you know, an emphasis on offering as many markets as they can. So, you know, unheard of if you, if you go through a, a, a menu for a lot of these sites, a DraftKings, a FanDuel, BetMGM, uh, mostly I'm talking about non-Nevada books, but uh, if you go through some of these legal apps during a game, like you could bet on every pitch, you could bet on every player to hit a home run. Uh, the, the depth of the offerings at these legal books are so much deeper than anything we were dealing with in the past couple of years, you know, in the, the old gambling world. So with these, these, deep deep markets you have a lot of people coming over from fantasy or dfs or that have a background and you know something else not necessarily you know uh, sports betting but sports you know some sports adjacent stuff and they're very into these prop markets um a lot of, a lot of people just special specialize in talking about props football props baseball props whatever and they win a lot and, you know, the thing is, is if you really win a lot on props, a lot of these books are going to limit you pretty quickly if you're not giving them action on, you know, NFL sides and totals. And even if you are, you might still get limited because they just don't want the prop action, you know, from from known sharps. 
but uh, you know, you get these people who who not only bet props, but um, a lot of touts think they need to put a lot of analysis behind their picks, and that people want a paragraph justification behind everything. And that's something I've never been good at because you know I make a bet, and someone's like, "Why do you like this bet?" I said, "Because I like the number." You know, because the number was was higher than what I thought it should be. I can't elaborate a paragraph or two paragraphs on that answer. I could just tell you because the number was not what I thought it was, you know, or what I think it should be. Um, that's the answer a lot of the time. And, and when you, when you talk about the number, isn't what I thought it was, it's not so much that there's a system there. It's that this is years of experience and just years of doing this where you are at the point where you can just look at a board and identify a number and go, I just know that that's not right. Yeah, sort of. I mean, so, sometimes, you know, your, your own opinion, you, you're always, you know, when you're when you're booking or betting, you know, your own opinion always comes into play and the ability to, to, to hold, you know, to, to take on risk or, you know, bet more. You can always say, well, like, I, I think that's, you know, that's going to win and the number's off. But uh, mostly, I mean, I'm mostly numbers based and, you know, you have to be able to quantify your edge and know, you know, well, this is 4%, this is 3%, this is, you know, half percent, whatever. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to know, you know, what you're dealing with as opposed to, to you know, just blindly firing and saying, oh, I have an edge. Like, it's, it's better to be able to quantify quantify your edge. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, there, there are situations like prop markets where I can just kind of glance at them and, you know, years of experience can can help you, you know, get something that might take somebody else slightly more time. Just, you know, click, click, click. I'm done. Um, yeah, I've been known to do that on occasion, but uh, you can't get sloppy. The, the, if you get sloppy and lazy, you know, and start taking slightly worse numbers, your your performance will, uh, you know, decay over time. And uh, there are no margins for errors when it comes to. To, to gambling really i mean you're it, it, very very thin margins all around but what i was saying about the batter versus pitcher stuff is you get people that come over from from fantasy or from dfs and they're like oh like i'm gonna use batter versus pitcher stats to to determine this guy should be a home run prop bet today you know i i just shake my head at stuff like that like it's another, it's just clueless people, you know, kind of drawing, you know, conclusions from, from noise. And, uh, it, it, it you can make money, like it, it's fun, but, but you're just, you're throwing darts a lot of the time, especially the, the batter versus pitcher stuff is a huge red flag. Now, what, why is it such a red flag? What is it about batter versus pitcher specifically? It's almost completely insignificant what somebody did in six at bats or 10 at bats, you know, when you you're getting into to higher you know like well this guy you know maybe like freddie freeman versus i'm trying to think somebody jacob Degrom, like they've played each other you know tens of times like it it doesn't matter the sample size is so small relative it just you, you're drawing conclusions from stuff that that you really should should not be drawing those conclusions from and you know, like it's, it's just a, it's a bad way of doing things. And 
it's a bad foundation to, to, to start thinking like that. That, that makes sense. It's you're looking at a sample size that's maybe on the high end, 50 or so data points. And that is nowhere near enough of a sample size to be, be actually extrapolating something like this. Yeah, you really, I mean, you really shouldn't like, I think it's crazy. All right, guys, real quick, I want to talk to you about Sleeper. It's the fastest-growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. But now, you can win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the total. For example, number of points in a basketball game or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. You pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my buddies' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button, and I can do some trash talking too. So stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new Over Under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money, and make sure to use promo code BETTINGPROS, all one word, and Sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download Sleeper and use the promo code BETTINGPROS, all one word, when you deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Now let's get back to the show. You talk about investing in baseball cards. Do you use that knowledge of the baseball card market to impact your betting picks or vice versa? Did those do those two roads intersect at all? The the gambling and the baseball cards do have some intersection. Uh, mostly, the reason I, I invest in baseball cards is as is as a derivative to futures markets. Because um, a lot of times, you know, you might have a a guy who's a short favorite in a rookie of the year market, but his card is cheap, you know, or relatively cheap. And you might have a guy like, like Julio Rodriguez and Spencer Torkelson and Bobby Witt. They're all real high. They're the top three front runners for the AL rookie of the year. Their cards are prohibitively expensive. So uh, I sold a Julio Rodriguez card for about $3,000 before the season. And I used that money to invest in Julio Rodriguez's, uh, rookie of the year future at like 16 to one. Cause I was basically assuming that that card didn't have 16 times the value in it. If he, if he's as good as I thought he could be. Um, and if he does win the rookie of the year, I could just buy that card back for, you know, a stupid amount of money if I really wanted it still. Um, but it's not going to go up 16 times in value, which is what I would get off the, you know, off the future. So sometimes you, you want to own the card and sometimes, you want to sell the card and use that money to make a bet. Um, but I basically use the baseball cards as a way to play around in the futures market with uh, exposure to guys for, you know, uh, different, it's basically the reasons being that, that the, the futures market might, might have a different price, you know, than the value of the card or vice versa. That makes perfect sense. I mean, you can actually balance these markets against each other and, the baseball card betting market is almost a little bit like gambling. You're playing essentially a version of the stock market. So why wouldn't you take that information and transfer it over to the betting market? That makes perfect sense to me. The baseball card market, though, has a lot more sort of barriers than betting. Like betting, you find a number, you make a bet, you win or lose. Baseball mm -hmm. cards, got to list it on eBay. eBay is going to take 12%. 
you want to get it graded, that's, you know, more money, time. There's a huge backlog with the PSA grading right now. So, you know, the, the cost, a lot of times the profit margin in the, the baseball card is not nearly what you think it's going to be, especially when you, you get done with all the fees and every, everyone else taking their, their cuts in the process. So, I mean, you really got to hit it. You either got to really hit it out of the park. You know, you're not looking to buy like a $500 card and sell it for 600, 700 bucks. You're hoping to buy a $500 card and sell it for, you know, 2,000, 3,000, you know. Um, if, if you're not thinking like that, you're probably not going to get great returns. You got to do the, the, the cards because you like them. But uh, for, for those with incredible amounts of disposable income, the baseball cards and basketball card markets are incredibly lucrative. That makes sense to me. You got to be looking for a higher ROI in the baseball card market than you do in the betting market, just because, like you said, of the time, energy, effort, and extraneous costs that go into that. Yeah. Now, now I want to ask you one more question here. I've got a weird one for you. Uh, in the stock market, like we just talked about, global issues can affect domestic stock prices. But no one really thinks about how these same issues might create efficiencies in the betting markets. Is there any time that you found this to be the case in the past where global events have actually helped create an edge for gamblers that no one's really seen? Do you see anything like that in the world today? Like, does even Russia, Ukraine manage to have some kind of impact in gambling? There was a lot of stuff during COVID that kind of had unusual, uh, you know, there's there no precedent for the sort of how do you handicap this? You just kind of had to make some assumptions, but I remember like there was some Nicaraguan baseball that I would watch and the guys were playing with masks on, you know, on the field. And I was just like, well, the team that's playing with the masks is going to play worse. I, I know very little about Nicaraguan baseball, uh, more, more than most, but still very little overall. But like, I know that the shortstop wearing a mask is, you know, going to just, it, it's like having like a restrictor plate on a carburetor. Like, it's not fun to go out and play sports in a mask. You know, it's not especially, fun to run around. You know, you, you just, it's going to impact your performance, especially if you've never done it before. So, like, I knew to bet against the team wearing the mask. It's just, it's stuff like that. Like, or there'd be, there. I remember there was a, a situation, it was like Bolivia and soccer or something. Uh, maybe it was Uruguay. I don't remember what country, but it was definitely South America where, like, the entire team got COVID the day of, of the match and they had to play, you know, the like reserve side, the academy side. And so the market was just, you know, it was just nonstop action on the other team. And like some books pulled it, some books were just like, whatever, bet it. Um, so you get like random situations like that where entire teams were being replaced by academy sides. Um, and I'm trying to think, oh yeah, so uh vaccines teams teams would have like mass vaccine days and you know they'd all get get the the vaccine at the same time and like they'd go out and play like crap the next day this was an mlb like a lot of there were pitchers who were missing their next starts you know because just the 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 vaccine took a couple days out of them um but like I I just kind of look on twitter and oh the yankees all got their vaccine today let's bet against them tomorrow and those mostly won. They weren't like a hundred percent, but they they hit at a 
you know, quite a, quite a large clip. Um, there were NHL teams too. I just knew like, oh, look, this NHL team all got their vaccine. Like they're not going to go around and skate tomorrow night. Like they, I think the NHL ones were close to a hundred percent. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're willing to kind of extrapolate some, some news and make some assumptions yourself, there's, there's some good stuff, but, uh, Russia, Ukraine, there hasn't been anything just because, I mean, the markets, there's KHL, there's, you know, there's, there is Russian and Ukrainian soccer. I don't know anything about it, but in general, there hasn't been many exploitable that geopolitical betting angles with, with the Russia and Ukraine stuff. Um, anything I, I can't think of anything. Uh, there was a lot of table tennis going on out of those countries during COVID. That was crazy. Um, people were betting a lot on underground table tennis, but I haven't heard much about that lately. Unfortunately, those were, those were some interesting days. I feel like that market was definitely the definition of filling a need at a time and maybe wasn't the burgeoning future of sport. Yeah, that was, there were some crazy times when COVID, when everything was shut down, there was Nicaraguan baseball, Nicaraguan basketball, I think. Taiwan had some basketball. It might have even been women's basketball for a while. Um, Belarus was the center of the sports world. And uh, there was the table tennis. There was uh, outlaw golf. And people were betting on game simulations. Like, they plugged yeah. in a PlayStation. And it was some weird times, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Those were uh, some, some dark days. They Trust me, you don't have to tell me twice about that. I fully remember those days myself. I was one of the people that plugged in their PlayStation, went on Twitch and was just running Madden games. I wasn't taking any action on them, but I was just doing it to do some play-by-play -play stuff and just occupy my time. I am very thankful that we are done with the bulk of COVID at this point. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today, my friend. It was a pleasure talking to you, a goldmine of information for new bettors and experienced bettors alike, things that maybe you don't realize that you're doing in your betting habits that you can try and break and better practices that you can be putting into place. It was a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you on social media and all the awesome work you're doing? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Spreadopedia, and then you can find me on Vsin. I'm usually on, I'm on uh, Numbers Game with Gil Alexander on uh, Wednesday mornings, usually Wednesday at 8 a.m. I'm usually on a couple couple other times throughout the week on different shows. And then I have my own podcast, uh, Wide World of Wine Garden, which comes out almost daily on uh, VSIN and iHeartRadio and Spotify and YouTube and wherever you can get iHeartRadio podcasts. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm usually usually uh, available one way or the other um some form of media all right well that is going to do it for us here once again thank you so much jason i hope you have a great rest of your day and guys best of luck with anything you're betting this weekend hope you have a lot of fun and you know let's catch those tickets <laughs>